This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Ryan Perilou was on the field with his LSU teammates celebrating their victory over Ohio State in the BCS title game earlier this year. He seemed poised to take over for Matt Flynn as starting quarterback for the Tigers. LSU number one, baby, in the nation. Undisputed, baby. But the talented quarterback was kicked off the team Friday by head coach Les Miles, his career marked by legal and disciplinary problems. In a statement, Miles said Perilou didn't fulfill his obligations as an LSU student-athlete. Prospects 101, the show where we break down football prospects from all levels. We talk high school, we talk college transfers, we talk college recruiting, and NFL prospects. And as always, Prospects 101 is presented to you by Blue Wire Pods, which is an outstanding media company that we are very fortunate to be a part of, and Bet Online. And just because most sports aren't back doesn't mean you can't bet on sports, and that's why we have Bet Online. Uh, always gracious for our two sponsors there. And as always, you can always interact with the show on social media. That's at Prospects101Pod. And that's on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And we're constantly on there tweeting out stuff, uh, posting stuff for you guys, our fans, to interact with. Uh, we also occasionally post on YouTube as well. And, and that's at XFL Chalk Talk. It's our old YouTube channel that we're in the process of changing over, which will be happening soon, fellas, and, and be able to post some good Prospects mm-hmm. 101 content on there. So uh, I'm your host for this evening, Brandon Glessner, and as always, I'm joined by my first host, who apparently can't read a Google Doc in order to prepare for today's show, <laughs> and Brandon Pastel. You know what's the crappy part about that is Kenny's the first person to point out something that's not his fault, but when it's his actual fault, he'll completely deflect it and act like it's not, and then he'll point, never accept the blame. And that's going to lead me into my introduction of our second co-host, who apparently can't stand that Brandon can't read the Google Doc that, to prepare for the show, Kenny Keller. Nothing's ever my fault. Let's get that straight for one. <laughs> I, I'm Teflon Don. I deflect imperfections away from me, and I expect perfections from so, my co-host. So, so we're getting ready for the NASCAR race last week because Kenny was at my house. And Kenny got a text early in the morning, a group text saying, hey, we're going to do the drawing for the Pick'em, uh, NASCAR Pick'em, at 3 o'clock. Is everyone good with that? Kenny gave a thumbs up. Not only did he give one thumbs up, Kenny gave two thumbs up. Saying like, okay, let's do it. I'm ready. Come 3 o'clock, I go into the office as Kenny's editing a, a prior show. I'm like, Kenny, are we doing this? And Kenny's like, why are we doing this right now? Like, why don't we just do it while we're closer to the race? I'm like, Kenny, you're the one that first agreed to this. Do you not remember? He's like, oh, I don't always read those texts. So come on, Kenny. I was uh, agreeing to drawing, not drawing at three o'clock. That was an irrelevant. Even though he specifically said you know, three o'clock. 
Actually, you said 1,500. Nobody uses military, military time, time except for you. I'm going to call it even after knowing that story because I did not know that story even though I drew with you guys. Uh, so that's, that's – Brennan, you had that one in your back pocket. You know, I actually just thought about that. I really didn't have one in my back pocket, but I'm very glad that one came to my head. You know, head. I could bring out sign more, but from I don't – I don't, don't let Kenny win this. I could bring out more examples, but I'm too classy not to. We, we don't want to bore our fans road. with the marriage between my two co-hos here, apparently. So. <laughs> it's his fault. Uh, first, guys, before we get into it, uh, first thing I want to mention is the overwhelming support and feedback that we've gotten from our fans. As a lot of our listeners know, we have kind of transferred and becoming an XFL show and covering the, X- the XFL at length, obviously, the XFL is no longer around anymore, so decided to kind of transfer to something that interests all of us, and that's covering prospects, and, you know, like I said, at the high school level, uh, at the college level, NFL, uh, the NFL draft as well. Mm-hmm. And we've gotten overwhelming support and great feedback from all of our mm-hmm. fans, so I just want to give you guys a shout-out. Anything that you guys want to see, like I said, make sure you interact with us uh, on social media. Take a look mm-hmm. uh, for all of our polls out there different discussion points that, that we want to talk to you guys, right? We, we want this podcast about prospects to be about our fans and, and what you guys want to listen yep. to, especially because it's looking more and more like a college football season is imminent, whether it be without fans or very minimal fans. I do wholeheartedly believe that we will see college football in the, in, in the fall, which is, which is extremely exciting. So can, can we, can we, can we take a second and let that sink in that, about a month ago, it was looking really, really bleak that there'd be a college football season, and now colleges are opening up in mid-June. Voluntary workouts are coming back. The recruiting dead period will be over by the end of July. <laughs> like the, Texas announced today that there's going to be 25% fans at all their all their game, like uh, all their professional state games and stuff like that, sporting events. It, it's 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 coming back, guys. Money talks. I, I don't yes. know. What you think as far as like what political side you're on? I think it, I don't think it matters. Money speaks volumes, and the NCAA was about to lose four billion dollars worth of money if they didn't have a football yep. season. So I don't know. I'm not sure if the coronavirus is going away or if it's here to stay. But football is coming back. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it'll be interesting to see in the highly infected states where you know pr- school presidents like the president at the University of Michigan said, "Hey, if the kids aren't on campus, then there won't be athletics." and then, of course, you have schools in the South, which will do just about anything. They'll sell their soul to make sure that there <laughs> is a college football season here in 2020. So it'll be interesting to see hey, how all of that plays out. I, before we get too far down this rabbit hole, I do want to say I, I saw an interesting response to the Michigan president saying, uh, you know, they won't be playing unless kids are there. And someone said, he goes, he's a smart man. They can't, Michigan can't lose to Ohio State if they don't play Ohio oh State. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> he set himself up for that. It's a that. softball right there. It is a softball. Oh, Only school the worst record against a rival, maybe my Washington Huskies against Oregon in the last 15 years. Yeah. That might be. I think mm-hmm. we're like 1-14 Ohio State U- or Michigan. UVA versus UVA. UVA is not, not the best ca- either. <laughs> man, man, we – we all we got to stop rooting for losers. This is we ridiculous. Do. Army versus Navy there for a while. <laughs> Army versus Navy, that's right. There's some other big ones that have had that have been pretty lopsided. Tell you what, Alabama LSU had been pretty one-sided for the last decade until probably the last couple of years when the games were pretty competitive. You know what? You know what rivalry always drives me nuts is Oklahoma Oklahoma State. You're like, yeah, I get it. They're a, they're a ge- geographical rivalry but oklahoma state has won 70 less games than oklahoma in that rivalry like it's that's not a rivalry you're just their little you're just their little brother 
in that bedlam. Right? Yeah. Don't they call that bedlam? Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it's kind of one of those rivalries, and this is the last thing I'll say before we actually talk about what we're going to talk about today. <laughs> uh, it's kind of like schools that have two rivals. Like Michigan's a good example. Michigan has Ohio State, but they also have Michigan State. Mm-hmm. It's like University of Washington has Oregon, but they also have uh, Washington State University, right? The, the yeah. Cougs and the Apple Cup. It's funny how schools – kind of are starting to morph into these two big rivals instead of just having one and that would certainly play for Oklahoma as having Oklahoma State and Texas and but you always kind of have that primary rivalry like Oklahoma's big primary rival is Texas for sure but then of course you have Bedlam which as Kenny you said they they win 70 percent of the time anyway so does that really make it a rivalry (laughs) I don't know Anyways, I uh, I digress. Let's go ahead and get into what we want to uh, chat about tonight. And and we got a great show for you guys. Uh, been prepping all week for this. Feel like we got a really good show content. Uh, and what we're going to be talking about tonight is the most overhyped college recruits of the modern era. Now, there's a lot of names that go into this, and in how we define not only how we define the modern era, but what defines overhype. So, Kenny, why don't you kick us off and and how we really took a look at this topic and narrowed it down into a definition. Yeah, so kind of what we decided was when we talk about modern era, it was really like 1990s through present. You know, really the modern era for us as a, as a show, we're, we're, you know, we're all 31, 32 years old, is is that time frame, basically from 1988 on. So that's kind of the modern era for us, and, and basically anybody who fits in that time frame, we put on here, or we 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 used as a criteria as, as an overhyped candidate. Now, what makes you an overhyped candidate is someone who was very highly recruited, regarded as a can't-miss recruit, a can't-miss prospect. He's going to be a future NFL Hall of Famer type prospect. Like, really, you're, you're, you're number one, you're number two overall in the position. Um, but even not, it's even more than that because some, pros, because some recruiting years are heavier than others. Like, you know, the number one quarterback in 1999 might have only been the number five or six quarterback in 2003. So it's even weighted to that spectrum as well is kind of what I looked at. So for us, it, it, and then it wasn't even necessarily lack of performance because some of these guys actually had, you know, they had decent seasons. They had okay seasons, but they weren't up to the expectation that was laid upon them when entering their school, when their respective school, when they were, as they were respective recruits. Because you'll see one guy, a little teaser I had, who scored 10 touchdowns as a receiver one year. And you're going to think to yourself, wow, 10 touchdowns in one season, that's a really good season. It is for a normal specimen, but this guy was viewed as a different kind of player. So, And I don't want to give it away right now, but that's kind of what we went into when looking at the players who we consider most overhyped recruits of the so modern So in era. short term, you failed to meet expectation, correct? Oh, 100%, yeah. Yeah, I think one other thing to note, just to go off of you, Kenny, before we get into some of your guys that you had on here, is overhyped has really changed in the modern era, too. If you think about guys that were really mm-hmm. overhyped in the early 2000s, there wasn't the influence of social media that there is right. now. There, there wasn't the influence of huddle. There wasn't the influence of highlight films. There really mm-hmm. wasn't that big of an influence on YouTube and the ability to get your big plays out there for pretty much the entire world to see. And so as... Every year goes by, I see a lot of 
more recruits becoming more overhyped just simply because of the exposure. And this is really a lot more focused on now than it ever used to be. And that's a, mm-hmm. a, a increasing year, year in and year out. So I think this list will only grow as far as guys that will end up being overhyped college recruits as we go along in time as technology continues to evolve and how kind of this culture of, of highlights and going viral especially when it comes to highlight films and things that guys tweet out and all that stuff that comes with it. Uh, Certainly there'll be a lot more guys added to this list as we go on into the future. What's up prospect 101 fans looking to win money, but think there's nothing to bet on. Well, there's no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partner bet online. NASCAR is back and bet online has hundreds of other games, events and sports to get in on. You can still bet on simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC events 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Or you can participate in a $10,000 Madden Bracket Challenge, a March Madness-style NFL simulation tournament you can enter for free. And live right now on BetOnline's YouTube channel, you can find an exclusive interview with ex-Chicago Bulls, Ron Harper, Horace Grant, Bill Cartwright, and Craig Hodges to discuss the Michael Jordan documentary on what they're calling the final dance. Visit betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus and check out all the action. BetOnline, your online wagering solution. But Kenny, I really want to start with a guy here. He was an outside linebacker, and he's one of the biggest physical freaks we've ever seen at the high school level uh, as far as a recruit is concerned, and that's with Willie Williams from Miami. Yeah, so this guy was the first really like kind of freak, as if you will, because now you see a lot of linebackers who are 6'2", 6'3", 230 pounds. They run, you know, four four sub four five forties, and, and they play, you know, all different kinds of positions in the defense. But Willie Williams was kind of that guy who broke the mold. He was six three, two thirty, ran a four three to the point where they made him run the forty again because everybody thought they timed him wrong because they hadn't seen an athlete like that ever. He runs a, he runs a four three, and he ends up becoming the number one defensive recruit in the. The entire nation and you know you're talking about the only two guys ranked ahead of him in the class were Adrian Peterson AP and Ted Ginn Jr. that's it those were the only and they were all that's it and, and Willie Williams was third in that class but this guy was marketed as the next big like Lawrence Taylor Derek Brooks he that was him that was going to be him he was supposed to be the next Hall of Fame type player to come out of the U and, and this was right as the U was just kind of coming into, or really, they were in the height of the U2, their, their, their reemergence as being a top college dynasty in the early two, the late 90s and the early 2000s. He was supposed to continue that train. And the problem was there was a lot of red flags. He had been arrested 11 times in high school, you know, mostly small stuff. And I know I say small, like, oh, he gets arrested, he gets arrested. I understand that. But there was nothing really major that was going on with him. But he got arrested 11 times, was kind of given the, a pass because he was such a hyped recruit, gets to Miami, plays his freshman year, and gets into some more trouble. He actually got arrested on a recruiting trip, I think, to Florida. That was one of his arrests. But gets into trouble. 
and then gets kicked out of Miami, transfers to to a community college, then transfers to Louisville, doesn't get cleared to go to Louisville, and then ends up playing at an NAIA college called Union in Kentucky. Now, this is pretty cool. So I went to an NAIA college called UVA Wise, and my freshman season, we played Union, and Willie Williams was on that team. And, you know, I you kind of, like you said, Gless, a lot of these guys were before social media, so you, you kind of hear how big of a freak these guys were, but you really don't know. You didn't see video. I got to see this guy play, and let me tell you, it hurts me to think about him not keeping his head on straight and actually living up. I've never seen someone dominate a football game like the way this guy did. Gless, I saw him strong arm a tackle and a tight end in one arm push both over, run through a running back, and sack our quarterback. And, and I mean, they literally had to move the entire pocket the rest of the game to, to, def- to, to block against him. I think he ended up having, like, 14 tackles and, like, three sacks that game, including the game-winning sack where he sacks our quarterback. Our quarterback's helmet falls off. He grabs the quarterback's helmet, looks over at the crowd, and is going, look at y'all's quarterback, and he throws the helmet down, and I couldn't help but cheer for him, even though it was against our team. I've, I'm telling you, I've never seen a guy that big and that fast in my life. He was absolutely unbelievable. He reminds me of a uh, Terry Tate, the office linebacker, dude. <laughs> like not here, not now. <laughs> it is. It is so. It makes me so sad to think about how dominant he was. And I get it. It was NAIA, and this was the number one defensive recruit in college, in high school in 2004. I get it. He was going against far overmatched talent, but still, like, just I've never seen someone with that speed and that size. And play with that ferocity. I wish he could have. I wish he could have kept his head on straight. And it, it, I even think he got a workout with the 49ers. Like that's how much this guy was. How much of a physical freak this guy was. All that baggage. All that underachievement. And he still got a workout in the NFL. It, it's just. It, it's really a shame. Yeah, it's a shame. I, I definitely would have loved to seen what he could have done on a big on the big stage. You know, on a Saturday night, ABC, and would have loved to seen him really be the next great Miami defensive player. Would have been a, a great thing to see, I think, for all college football fans. Now, he's the only defensive player you had on your list here, Kenny. Let's change over to offense a little bit and talk about a quarterback who is supposed to come into Arkansas and really revolutionize that entire football program. Man, this was my guy. I don't know if Pastel remembers this, but I remember sitting in your basement and we were going over the the parade All Americans and the and the high school All Americans at quarterback. And I remember seeing Matt Stafford and Mitch Mustaine. And I remember Brandon and I sitting in his basement going, and like, because these two guys were like the most hyped quarterback recruits we had seen in a long, long time. And they both had committed to SEC schools. And I said, dude, watching. Matt Stafford at Georgia and Mitch Mustaine at Arkansas is going to be so fun the next couple of years because all the, those guys both came in and started as freshmen. They played as freshmen, and Mitch Mustaine had won, I believe it was seven games in a row to start his career. He's the local kid from Arkansas. I don't know if anybody has seen the documentary, The Identity Theft of Mitch Mustaine. If you haven't, it's a must-watch because this kid was supposed to bring Arkansas football back and put it on the map. It was a local boy, came to make good. He was a Gatorade National Player of the Year as a senior in, in high school. He was the guy. This was it. And you know, like I said, he played well his freshman year, and I think the wins, I think they kind of overshadowed some deficiencies. You know, he only completed 52% of his passes. He only had 10 touchdowns versus nine interceptions. I think the team around him was really talented, especially if you look at the next couple of years of that Arkansas program. But still, this was this was this guy was huge, and then all of a sudden, he he 
he goes to, he after this 06 season all that hype is surrounding him like hey going into his sophomore year he's going to be better he, look what he did his freshman year and then he had his he had issues with Houston Nutt he had his issues with that coaching staff and remember his his coach in high school was Gus Malzahn who is now the Auburn who is now the Auburn head coach but they they literally hired Gus Malzahn to be the offensive coordinator so Mitch would come to Arkansas and then you know there was just all this internal strife between the coaches and the player and he left and went to USC and unfortunately just never got going at USC he's played in a couple games uh, mainly mop-up duty and just never really saw the field and unfortunately it just turned out he turned out to be a guy who had other interests outside of football it just wasn't his drive again if you go back and watch that documentary I talked about he he mentions it you know he'd been bred to be a quarterback at Arkansas for so long he just got burnt out and was like hey I have other interests he, you know he started getting into guitar music and other things and just unfortunately Unfortunately, football took a back burner. Yeah, I think you stole my thunder there, Kenny. I was going to say he, <clears throat> him going to Arkansas was really the only reason why we have Gus Malzahn at the Division One level at this mm-hmm. point. Gus Malzahn was a established high school football coach in the state of Arkansas, and because Mitch Mustaine was his quarterback in high school, really came as a package. And Houston mm-hmm. Nutt saw that and hired Gus Malzahn and bring his shotgun, empty – five wide, four wide, off no huddle system to Arkansas so Mitch Mustaine would, would come there. So I think it's interesting how that one played out. It is a good documentary. Anybody who listen out there, please go check that out. It's, it's really a fascinating one. Mm-hmm. Now, sticking with the quarterback position, Pastel can't go far when you talk about nationally hyped recruits coming out of high school, and this guy was the number two dual threat quarterback only behind Vince Young. Yeah, inner Sandman. <laughs> The guy, the myth, the legend, Michael Vick's little brother, Marcus Vick. Talk about a disappointment, not only being a Virginia Tech fan, but just being a a dual-threat quarterback fan. Because Michael Vick really, there, I know there's dual-threat quarterbacks before him, but he really set the stage in the NFL. So then you had his little brother trying to live up to that same hype. And in high school, he did. He was a five-star recruit, like you said, less the number two dual-threat quarterback, which in any other year, he's number one. I mean, he was behind... Obviously, Vince Young. And he was ranked number 22 nationally. I think he was the fourth overall ranked quarterback or player for Virginia Tech in their history. And that's above his brother, Michael. And he, he comes in his uh, fresh, shirt, freshman, freshman year and gets redshirted. So he plays his actual redshirt freshman year. And he played a lot of receiver, a little bit of quarterback, a little bit of running back. Didn't really do a whole lot. Split a lot of time with Brian Randall, if you remember that name. And then he just ran into legal trouble after legal trouble after legal trouble. Uh, I don't want to go too deep into some of this stuff, but he got arrested for providing alcohol to minors. He mm-hmm. actually had sexual relationships uh, with minors that those got thrown out of court. So the only thing he actually got charged with was the alcohol to minors, which he got a 30 day jail sentence, which eventually he had a plea deal that got that suspended. So it's kind of a guy that just kind of got second chance after second chance. And then he played, I want to say his junior year, redshirt junior year. And led them to eleven and two record. Um, mm-hmm. They were kind of on the national stage. I think they're preseason seventh ranked overall. They were in the talks for a national championship run throughout that year, and then they lost to Florida State in the ACC championship. They don't lose that game. They might be playing for a national championship with Marcus mm-hmm. Vick as the quarterback. Now his stats weren't great. I mean, he was only seven seventeen TDs versus ten interceptions with three hundred eighty yards rushing. So he wasn't putting up Michael Vick type of stats. And that's kind of what I'm really trying to gear at. Not only was his career derailed by legal issues, he never really performed when he was on the field to that type of level when everyone thought Michael Vick. Now, 
Again, he led them to the ACC championship, led them to the Gator Bowl, which, hey, guys, remember the Gator Bowl when he stepped on Elvis, Elvis Dumerville? Dumerville? Right, yeah. I remember that. Yep. <laughs> what a punk. What a punk. Uh, remember, he also flicked off West Virginia that same year. Remember, he mm-hmm. was leaving the stands and flicked off all the West Virginia fans. Yep. So it's just a, it's a it's a guy that never lived up on the field and it was just a disappointment after disappointment after off the field. So they 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 cut him if you, that's what you want to say. They released him from Virginia Tech and Mike Marcus Vick pretty much said cool, like no emotion. Said cool, I'm moving on to the next thing, getting ready to the NF, for the NFL. Of course, he doesn't go draft it. He's undrafted and <laughs> our one of our best friends Riley. Of course, his team, the Miami Dolphins, pick him up, and he plays one year with them, mostly on the practice squad. I think he got in one game versus the Giants that he played a few plays at receiver, but never had any stats. And that was it. He was done. A once five-star prospect, Virginia Tech all-time great as far as recruiting trail, the the brother of a legend, never amounts to absolute anything besides embarrassment at Virginia Tech. Yeah, it's a tough one to to swallow for the Vic family when you think about that one because Michael was so dynamic in the early 2000s and really kind of brought Virginia Tech to the national spotlight with the way he played in 2001 and getting them to the national championship. And his brother, as you said, Brandon, came in with a lot of hype mm-hmm. and just really mm-hmm. never lived up to it due to a lot of just just couldn't get out of his own way, I guess you could say. And it's a shame to see that happen to a player with so much just physical ability, a lot like his brother. Now, sticking to quarterback here, I'm going to change it up a little bit. Can he go back to you, talk about a guy who committed to LSU and a guy that I actually remember him committing while we were sitting in science <laughs> class in Ryan Perilou at LSU. <laughs> yeah, Ryan Perilou was part of that 2005 recruitment, and, and he was – he was the guy. He was supposed to be the guy who, remember, because LSU still had Nick Saban at that point or had just come off a national championship year, and, and that was supposed to be you know, the next extension of, of that dynasty. And unfortunately, he just never really lived up to the, to the hype. He didn't really play much as a freshman. Uh, I believe he actually redshirted. Uh, I'm sorry, no, he played in a couple games, um, saw a handful of snaps, and then he got a really decent sample size his sophomore year. I mean, his sophomore year... He played in 12 games. He had 694 yards passing, 10.2 yards in attempt, eight touchdowns, two interceptions. Like, he actually had some decent, decent sample size there and looked like he was kind of starting to figure it out. But unfortunately, you know, just kind of had some off the field issues, had some, had some, and I think part of the reason too, before I go into that, part of the reason this was, he was so, it was such an excitement for him is remember, Jamarcus Russell was the quarterback of this team. And when Les Miles recruited him, they interviewed uh, they interviewed Perilou and, and they said, Perilou, you know, what do you think about, you know, Perilou, they're talking about what do you think about signing at LSU, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, and they said, what about Jamarcus Russell? And he goes, Jamarcus who? And then said he was, then made the claim that he was going to win the Heisman Trophy as a true freshman. So he came in with kind of a target on his back anyway. It didn't really help. And then you had guys like Jamarcus Russell and Matt Flynn in front of him. But he ends up, like I said, advancing in, in the depth chart his sophomore year. But then, unfortunately, he violates team rules, gets suspended indefinitely, and eventually dismissed from the team uh, for not, you know, Les Miles says, fulfilling his obligation as an LSU student athlete, which is unfortunate. He transfers to Jacksonville State and actually does really well. He was... Ohio Valley Conference Player of the Year, which is all good and dandy, but when you're that kind of a recruit that Ryan Perilou was, a national top recruit, a five-star quarterback that was that was really, you know, the him and Colt McCoy were the top two guys in that class. 
you know, you see what Colt McCoy did versus what Ryan Perilou did, and you just gotta you just gotta shake your head and go, man, what could have been? You know how he could have continued that run of dominant LSU quarterbacks, and unfortunately, it didn't, and and he just ended up being second fiddle. Uh, as a D1 player, and he goes to the FBS, or FCS and, and plays well, but that's just not, not the expectation you have as a, as a number one recruit. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Uh, he, he was one of those guys that when he signed on, I was really excited to see that he was going to be the next really great LSU player in the mid-2000s that was going to take the reins from Jamarcus Russell and really continue making that program go up and up and up. And it just never panned out for him, and, and that's sad to see. But you, you know, remember. at the end of the day, that these five-star recruits sometimes just just don't work out. And Ryan Perilou certain certainly in that category. Now let's change to running back real quick because this next guy that you have, Kenny, I find is a super interesting case. Uh, running back out of the state of California that actually mm-hmm. ended up committing to Colorado. Talk to us a little bit about Daryl Scott. Dude, Daryl Scott is still to this day the highest ranked recruit Colorado has ever had that they've ever had commit to their program. And this guy was supposed to be the next big thing. Like a lot of people were comparing him to Danian Tomlinson, which I don't know if that's necessarily fair as a high school recruit to compare him to, you know, a, 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 a annual pro bowl running back in the NFL. But that's what a lot of scouts had prepared him to. He was, but here's the thing. He's six one, 240 pounds. This guy was an absolute physical marvel. And, and was really going to put Colorado back on the map. This was a guy who was going to change what Colorado had been, you know, up and down, up and down throughout the early 2000s. And this was supposed to be the guy who, you know, he comes in, he completely changes the culture of the program and brings them back to the prominence they were used to in the early and mid-90s, and even the late 90s to that matter. But unfortunately, it just never panned out. You know, it wasn't, he, he just didn't put up the numbers. I mean, if you look, and, and I guess, the, I don't know if, if maybe he played slower than what they were anticipating because if you look at his pre-draft measurables he came in at 6'1 235 pounds and he ran a 4'7 he just never showed the speed and that elite ability to break away that he had showed in in high school and just had a lot of a lot of had a lot of issues I know he didn't get a lot of playing time his freshman year and and he ended up transferring to the University of South Florida afterwards because he just he, he couldn't break into the backfield. He was going to transfer to UCLA, and then he ended up going to the University of South Florida, where he actually put up decent numbers. I think he ran for like 700 yards his senior season, and and had and showed decent ability, but just never was never the player everybody intended him to be. This was the this was supposed to be the next great running back. This was the next AP, the next Lindell White, the next LT. You know, this was he was supposed to be. A, along those lines on those number one type running backs. And it just never, it never happened, you know, which is a shame because I think Colorado seeing, seeing smaller schools get those number one type recruits is always a good thing for college football. It creates parity and parity is a good thing. We like seeing more teams compete with the, you know, the blue bloods. And this was Colorado's chance to do that. And unfortunately he ended up being a bust and never really broke into the lineup. And, and that was it. Well, I think we, when scouts, when they say natural runner, that's what he lacked. And to, to kind of articulate what that means, yeah, he had all the pre-draft measurables, all the re, all the like the speed, the height, the power. But when you can't translate that into the college game, you can get away from it in high school. Is what I'm saying because you're you're just bigger, faster, and stronger than everybody else. You don't need to hit the holes like you do in college football. If you're not hit, if you're not following the coach's scheme, his offensive philosophy in college level, 
unless you're an Adrian Peterson, like you just mentioned, you're not going to get away with it. And he's just not that natural runner at the collegiate level to get away with it anymore. So I, I think for him, he just wasn't that good. He yeah, he just the high school. He just dominated the high school landscape because he could. Yeah, and that's what's interesting about some of these overhyped college recruits that we have here. They were so good at the high school level that all recruiters from across the country determine these guys as can't misses. And I always find it extremely interesting to take a look at these guys and be like, well, why didn't they? Why didn't they turn out? Why? What happened? Was it a mental thing? Was it a, a fit thing? In the case of Daryl Scott, it, to your point, Brandon, he may have just been playing against either some really bad competition out there in California, but for whatever reason, he tried it at two schools and was a very mediocre player and certainly didn't live up to his five-star potential. Now, sticking on the running backs, Brandon, I'm going to kick it back to you, to a guy that we actually saw play when we were kids in Spotsylvania, Virginia, a guy by the name mm-hmm. of Daniel Davis who ended up committing to the University of Carolina. Yeah, Daniel Davis, probably the best running back ever out, out of the state of Virginia. There's a few other guys you could probably throw up there. But he set the state record for rushing yards in a career with over 7,000 yards at Brook Point. And that was back in, 19, I think, 1996 to 1998. Uh, he went to become a true freshman and played and was the leading rusher for U- UNC in 1999. And then ran into some legal issues. If you, I don't want to dive again too much into legal issues, but you kind of go back and you look at some of the things that he did. A lot of the time is that he just didn't show up for a, a dang court date, man. He just kept missing court date after court date. He kept missing deadlines as far as papers. As we go talk about the rest of his career, he just couldn't meet a freaking deadline, and that was like the downfall of this dude's career. So he went to UNC. Then he went to, uh, well, man, what's that JUCO college? Garden, Garden City in Kansas. Garden City, yep. Yeah, and he kind of showed again like why he was the number one running back in the nation when he ran for almost 1,000 yards. So only a few teams at this point were going to pick him up just because of his track record, and one of those teams was Kansas State. So he went to Kansas State, and he thought, okay, this is where I'm going to resurrect my career and then get back into the, the draft talk, go back and you know, be in that upper you know, top three round type, because that's where people saw him coming out of high school. Well, little do we know that there was another running back there that was just a freshman as well named Darren Sproles. <laughs> and he kind of just completely over he, – he started Oops. over uh, D- yeah, Darren Davis every single year. So he never had a chance to actually show what he could do. But he was so good, kind of to your point about the player you, talk, you mentioned earlier, Kenny, is there were still many teams that invited him to camp at the NFL level. And he never mm-hmm. did anything at the uh, college level. I kind of want to say this, hey, Brandon. So, Brandon, your brother Josh, him and my brother – they used to go to his high school games because he was such a dominant player that people across the state would just go to watch him. So the one thing that he said is that he went to a game and he saw Daniel Davis truck a guy, juke a guy, outrun a guy who had the angle on him, mind you, hurdle a guy, stiff arm a guy, spin off a guy, moss the guy, declete a guy on defense, carry a pile for a first down, and throw a Hail Mary. That's all in one game. That was the <laughs> legend of Daniel Davis coming out of Brook Point at the state of Virginia. And then... Just never amounted to anything. You can read a little bit on his back, his background, kind of some family issues if you want to. Uh, but he, he definitely wasn't brought up mm-hmm. in a very ideal situation. He kind of around drugs and gangs and stuff like that. So I would love to do a sports psychology, almost documentary on players like him because like they have all the skill in the world. But why doesn't it work out? Is it kind of their upbringing? Is it things that they just can't 
adapt to in the college lifestyle. It's just one of those things that I'm very intrigued about. And he's one of those players that he had the talent and every coach that he went to the reason Bill Snyder kept him as the third string running back because of all that, because he said, I think he's just that good. Yeah. He was one of the best players that I've ever seen. And I was, I was in middle school. Actually, I may have been in elementary school. I'd have to go back and and look at the years (laughs) and think about it for a second. But I remember watching him and he was by far the best player on the field and he's one of the most dominant players I've ever seen because Brook Point never threw the ball because they didn't need to throw didn't the ball. To. They just gave the ball to him. <laughs> and, you know, he would just take off. And once he got through the first line of defense, he's making linebackers miss, outrunning defensive, play, uh, defensive secondary players. Uh, certainly a guy that is certainly extremely disappointing on how his career ended up. Now, as always, I know I kind of mentioned at the beginning of the show, you know, always interact with us at Prospects 101 Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And we threw this question out earlier th- earlier today on, you know, who's the most overhyped recruit of the 2000s. And at Joel Norris 777 responded back with our next guy, which is ironic because he is also on yep. Kenny's list as a receiver from the state of Missouri. The number one recruit in the 2012 class, like the number one overall recruit, and that's Doriel Green Beckham, once described as a hybrid between Randy Moss and Plaxico Burr, 6'6", 220 pounds. Mm. He set the state record, Whoops. set the state re- state record for receiving yards in high school with like six, I think it was like 1,600 yards, and that was as a junior, by the way. Won state championships in the 100 meter and 200 meter dash, and, and the triple jump, jump and track. Like this guy was an all time physical athlete. And he commits to Mizzou. And I had brought this up previously. Like, it's a cool thing to see these kind of guys, these number one recruits, pick schools that aren't necessarily used to getting these five-star number one type guys. So he goes to Missouri. You know, he's going to play with guys like James Franklin at quarterback. And then Matty Mock was there as well. And, and Missouri had kind of come off a couple years of great play with Blaine Gabbert and... Oh gosh, I'm blanking on the kid's name now, but he was like five ten. Plays for he played for the Chiefs, but anyway, he was he was there at quarterback as well uh, the year before Blaine Gabbert. It was they'd come off a great couple of years, so I was like, great man, Missouri, and they were just entering the SEC at the time, so it was like, hey, this is how they're going to be able to compete with the big dogs since they're transferring over from the Big Twelve. And again, it's just he just never really became that elite player. You know, he comes in plays as a true freshman. He plays in the X position. He only played in five games. He got arrested uh, due to drug possession, which got him suspended during the season. But he comes back and, and, and plays really you know, decent. He shows that potential, but he never really took over any games. So then you know, his sophomore season, he plays the full season, 14 games, only has 883 yards. And I know people are going to point out and say, well, he had 12 receiving touchdowns. Yeah, that's really good. And, and and yeah, he had a, a decent amount of yardage. But again, he just never was a game changer. He wasn't dominant. Then he ended up he ended up getting dismissed from Missouri. He transferred to Oklahoma. He was going to sit out, but uh he ended up he ended up getting his waiver request denied to make him play to to let him play for the year. So he just decided to declare for the NFL draft and and spent his time in Oklahoma on the scout team. Uh, just kind of practicing with him, and then he declare. Then he goes into the draft, and at this, and, and becomes a second round draft pick. Like Absurd. this guy has, 
This guy hasn't done anything to really live up to the hype other than catch some touchdown passes, which as a 6'6 receiver in college football at a major program, you know, you should be able to do. But he, again, he just never took over, and he kind of bounced around the NFL for a little bit, had some more legal issues, and never really saw any significant playing time for Tennessee or Philadelphia. He, again, he kind of showed some – he kind of showed some – flashes here or there but again nothing that was was the legend that had came in who was supposed to be again the hybrid of of Plaxico Burris and Randy Moss this was supposed to be the next big all-time receiver and it just it didn't work out again I mean it's just again I, I most of my guys are just guys that that it just didn't work out for one reason or another and you just look back at their physical attributes and you're just like it doesn't compute and it's just like how does it not work out? And and unfortunately, just doesn't sometimes. That's the most frustrating thing about a scout. is, is Game tape does not lie. It's the most truth-telling thing that you can look at, at from a scout standpoint. Get away from the attributes of the six foot four runs a 4-4-40. I get very, very, very rarely that they don't produce in college that those guys tend somewhat work out. But 95% of those times, those guys don't work out. And that was a, a, a prime example. At least don't use a top top three-round pick on him. Maybe a late flyer in the seventh round. But, I mean, it's just so rare that those guys work out. But everyone's trying to look for the next gym. Like, just, just find out who can actually play football and pick those guys. Yeah, he was certainly one of those guys that we thought were can't misses when he was coming out and may have been the best recruit ever for Gary Pinkle in his mm-hmm. 14 years at the University of Missouri. Actually, one of the most underrated coaches, really, of the modern era. Had a really solid yep. coaching record there, 188 and 117, in a tough Big 12 division where you think of Oklahoma and Texas and Nebraska and really made that program competitive. And, and Dorian Green Beckham was supposed to be that guy to take them over, kind of. Uh, over the top and be extremely competitive in the Big 12 uh, year in and year out. And for whatever reason, it just didn't work out. Now, the guys that we've mentioned so far really have been more, I'm going to call it head cases more than anything. This next guy had everything that you'd ever want out of a linebacker when he was being recruited by the University of Florida, but due to injuries, just never seemed to pan pan out, huh, Pastel? (sighs) I guess you can consider injuries. That's probably the easiest thing to look at. So it's Ronald Powell. He's a six foot four, two hundred twenty-two pound defensive end linebacker. That edge rusher that we kind of mentioned in the earlier segments. Uh, please mm-hmm. go look at the, that podcast. That's a really good po- podcast on edge rushers and interior D line. But he was—he's one of those guys that I, I think of two players when I think of him: Micah Parsons, because he's just such a, a game-changing type of linebacker slash edge defender coming out of high school. And I also think of a TJ Watt, somebody that not only played DN, he also played tight end in high school. And, I mean, look at these stats in high school. In senior year, he had over 80 tackles, 13 sacks, 28 tackles for losses on defense, and then he averaged <laughs> 15 yards per catch on offense. So the guy, the guy he came in with a lot of hype, to say, to say the least. He was a sixth-ranked overall player in the history of, in the history of rankings, according to 247 Sports, and that's Ronald Paul again. Now, he comes in, this is kind of under Urban Meyer time frame. It, it was a mix between Urban Meyer and uh, Muschamp. He, he really didn't do much. His first year, he played, I think he played 13 games. He had one sack. He had 13, no, 16 tackles. His sophomore year, he had, so this is kind of his big uh, breakout. He had six sacks. He had nine tackle for losses. And now people are thinking, okay, he's starting to put it together. 
And then going into spring camp his junior year, he tears his ACL not once, but twice. Ooh. And that's 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 the thing that kind of like yeah I guess you can go to that. The only issue I have with that is the guy ran a four 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 five forty coming out of high school. So if you told me he lost the step, I still don't think a four six four seven linebacker DN is too slow. And he he went on his next year at Florida and only registered. I mean, so this is the, the year after sitting out a year, uh, seven tackle for losses, four sacks and 17 tackles so like his stat line definitely decreased a lot and he just never recovered he played for the saints he was a fifth round pick from the saints he played like one year and that was it and that's you know you saw him in the the aaf or not the aaf yeah the aaf he played for the orlando apollos and that's kind of been his his story for football it's kind of sad because i guess you can say injuries derailed it but he just never recovered from it i guess yeah it's unfortunate because he was such a gifted athlete and you get a guy that could move that fast, move that well laterally, just an overall aggressive player standing at 6'4", 222, as you mentioned earlier, Brandon, really kind of one of those hybrids. And it sucks not seeing any one of those guys work out, especially being under a head coach like Urban Meyer and then later with Will Muschamp. Certainly him not being not playing his junior year as well as not being as productive certainly hurt the Florida program. You know, one must champ was, was only there for three seasons going 28 and 21. You got to think that his presence not fell on the field definitely contributed to some of that. So kind of, kind of sad to see that happen when you see guys that physically gifted, not turn out, you know, whether it be injuries or really just not able to show the dominance that he was coming out. Now, the last guy you had on your list, Brandon, I'm going to, I'm going to categorize this guy as, Probably the guy our listeners don't know about. I think this is great research he did in covering this guy and the details and how hyped he was coming out of high school in 2003, and that's Nate Robinson. Yeah, Nate Robinson, not the not, not the, the basketball player. From, yeah, basketball player or corner for Washington, right? He played cornerback for Washington. That's right, yeah. Yeah, he was a phenomenal player. So Nate Robinson from Rutgers. Rutgers, he played at Rutgers and Akron. And I wanted to make sure I threw a player like this in because it's very rare that a Rutgers, actually, it's never happened. This is their only, first and only five-star recruit the Rutgers has ever had. And again, that's Nate Robinson. He was six foot four, 320 pounds, defensive tackle back in 2003. Funny story, he wasn't supposed to go to Rutgers. He signed with Miami alongside the only other five-star in that state of New Jersey. And guess who that was? Greg Olson. Well, hmm. Nate Robinson didn't have the grades to get into Miami, which you said, Glass, you mentioned Miami is a private school. I, didn't, I never looked I, at Miami as a smart school. Yeah, Miami's a, Miami's, a, yeah Miami's a private school. Okay, yeah, so it's, he took, it's, a smart, it's a smart school, yeah. You got to be smart to get into that school. Plus, it's private, as, as you guys said. It's also not the cheapest school in the world either. So he couldn't get in. Well, he couldn't at least immediately eligible for Miami. Couldn't qualify. So he decided to just go play for Rutgers and play immediately. So he, but then he just never really amounted to anything after that. So he played his first year in Miami. And the, the funny thing is his first sack came against Miami. Uh, so he played for Rutgers and his first sack came against Miami. But really after that, he didn't do anything else. I think he had, that was his only sack of the year. He had a few tackles, 15 tackles his freshman year. And then he decided to transfer to Akron. After sitting out a year in Akron, 
Again, he really just didn't do much. He played 11 games for the Zips in 2006, had 23 tackles, six six for losses, and only one sack again. His senior year, he was in and out of the lineup, never really did much. He had 26 tackles and one, no, he had one sack and I think five tackle for losses that year. Again, the stat line's not crazy. The NFL scouts really never saw much intrigue in him, and I think he ended up going to the Giants undrafted. But then he just fell out of the league after that. So it's one of those players that, again, to your point, Kenny, talk about guys like Scott to Colorado. It's like Nate Robinson to the Rutgers and Akron. It's like you finally get your five-star athlete. You would love to see them just excel and then hopefully attract more promising mm-hmm. athletes to that school. And then their career completely just fizzles out. And it gives me, it gives me no faith that another five-star is going to want to come to Rutgers or Akron thinking that that could be my career there. Right. Uh, yeah, it's so, tough, man. You, yeah. you really hope when you see these big recruits – go to these smaller schools that they pan out and in hopes that, you know, there might be more bigger recruits who say, Hey, you know what? Let me go to a smaller school and be kind of a big fish in a small pond, similar to Ed Oliver Ed Oliver, as you know, is the only five-star recruit to ever yet to ever commit to a G five school. He went to the university of Houston and did really, really, really well. And Houston was really, really, really good for most of his time there. So that's kind of one that that's kind of what you hope that you get when you see these big time recruits go to these lesser known, like less than blue blood type programs. But Unfortunately, a lot of these guys that we talked to talked about today didn't pan out. Now, I'm not a betting man. At least I wouldn't consider myself a betting man. But, Brandon, when you said 2004 when he had a sack against Miami, I am a, I'd be willing to put a good amount of money that Rutgers did not win that game. <laughs> <laughs> no. They, I think they played Miami twice in his career. And I don't think one they, they didn't win any of those games. No chance. Yeah, no chance. Hey, now that we're kind of on the Miami subject real quick, the one big victory for Marcus Vick, the guy we mentioned earlier, was versus Miami, I think, in that 2003 season. Yeah, I think so. They're still in the Big East at that point. Yep. Yeah, yep. That, that would make sense. Uh, a couple other guys that we didn't mention that I think uh, we're going to call them our honorable mention here. Uh, you guys will recognize these. Uh, Brock Berlin, quarterback mm-hmm. who originally committed to Florida. <laughs> Ooh, uh, had a couple seasons at Florida, ended up transferring to Miami. Had one really awful season. Had one so you know subpar season at Miami as well, but really came in extremely hype. Was going to be that next Florida quarterback to really kind of blow up the scene, and really di- it, it didn't amount to that. And in fact, again, like Mm-mm. I said, he transferred to Miami and was very subpar there as well. Another guy, Rus- Russell Shepard for LSU. He was a another quarterback prospect that came in. Actually didn't even finish his career playing quarterback at LSU. But surprisingly, he did go to a national championship game for LSU and, and was impactful in that game. But he definitely was supposed to be a, a big-time player and was going to be a Heisman contender who's really thought of that uh, going forward. Another uh, quarterback prospect, Ben Olsen out of BYU. You guys remember him? Yeah, played yep. at UCLA. Transferred to UCLA after uh, transferred to UCLA. Uh, Philip Sims, sticking with the state of Virginia, since we're all from the state of Virginia, <laughs> uh, played at Oscar Smith, ended up committing to Alabama, and then later transferring to UVA, and frankly, just did not get many snaps at the college level. Nope. Uh, another guy I saw just kind of doing my research around Bryce Brown from Tennessee. I was. I was I remember when he was coming out, thought that he was going to be Didn't a he running go to, back. Uh, Kansas State and play with his brother after Tennessee. Yeah, I think he transferred. Yeah, he transferred. Pretty out sure of it was Tennessee. him and uh, Arthur Brown. If I'm pulling this off the top of my head, I think I think him and uh, his his brother Arthur Brown both played at Kansas State after transferring from Tennessee. 
We need an intern yeah. who can look up stuff in the middle of the show. That's what we need. So if any of our listeners have a football nerd like us that wants to sit here and look up stats <laughs> that we time. question on the air, we'll gladly take resumes. Oh, it would so call Kenny out on so many stats, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, yeah. Let's go stat for stat, Brandon, you and I. We'll, we'll, I'd gladly do that show. Let's do that. Let's go. We'll Let's do that. Put your, put your money where your mouth is there, big dog. I will gladly take you on 101 for football stats. By Especially way, college also, football stats. Can we also sponsor that segment? Yeah. Do we got any sponsors out there? $30, you can sponsor our next segment. Put it right <laughs> here. We'll split it three ways. We make 10 bucks a piece. I like nice. it. <laughs> Panda Express right there. Panda Express. That's right. That's right. Uh, anyway, so th- those were some honorable mention. Anybody else stick out, guys? Those are some honorable mentions that I had on my list. Anything, anything else? I think I think that pretty enca- pretty much encapsulates some of the big names. Um, I, the only one I really thought of as we were kind of prepping for this and saw was Rhett Bomar, the quarterback who committed to Oklahoma and was you know five star number one quarterback in the in the country and and got to Oklahoma and then I believe he couldn't beat out Paul Thompson at quarterback or sat behind Paul Thompson and then he was given a fake job at a car dealership. Got stole busted. my thunder, Kenny. You stole my thunder. I was like, he, man, he loved working at a car dealership. I know that. Got busted because he really wasn't working at a car dealership. He was just on their payroll. And then I think he ended up transferring to like an FCS school or some small community college and just kind of fizzled out. Was it Sam Houston State? I think he was Sam I believe Houston so, State yeah. he transferred to. Anyways, man, we need that intern. Seriously. If anybody <laughs> knows anybody wants a fact check, we're all ears. Yeah, Brett, Brett Romar, uh, that was another guy looking that I thought was – would have been on there as well. You know, another one I, I was thinking of, I didn't want to put him on there because he actually had a decent career in college, was Jimmy Clausen. I mean, he was the golden boy. He was the next John Elway. And he still got picked second round by the Carolina Panthers, but I just never saw it from him. I just I was never impressed by his play. Yeah, I would say he was an extremely productive college player. Now, did he live up to the hype? Because to your point, he was supposed to be that next guy. He was a heralded recruit for Charlie Weiss. Supposed to be the next Joe Montana coming in, and to, and to your point, never really lived up to the hype as far as being that yeah. All-American Heisman Trophy winning quarterback. Just but I would bad. argue, if you look at his college stats, he was a very productive player, uh, but he didn't live up to the hype, I guess you would say. I mean, he was a second-round pick, as you pointed out, Brandon. Hard to say that that guy was quote-unquote overhyped, but I see what you're, I see what you're saying. I, I think you can make the case for that if you laid out his stats and really how big his name was coming out of high school. So that's a, yeah, that's where we're at with honorable mention. Now, as we do with every show, we like to end uh, with our uh, get to know a prospect segment. And again, for those who are just listening for the first time, this is where we really pick out a prospect that we as a group are extremely interested in uh, that has been extremely productive at the college level. But People may not know about this guy, and this guy is Holton Ehlers out of ECU. Kenny, why don't you tell us a little bit about Holton? Yeah, so Holton is, like you said, is the quarterback at, a, at a ECU. He's a pretty big guy. He's 6'3", 236 pounds. Uh, had a decent amount of offers coming out of, out of high school. You had offers to Cincinnati, Colorado State, Florida, Georgia, some of the bigger names, Indiana, Minnesota. And he ended up, he ended up committing, staying in-state and going to East Carolina. And and he's so dynamic. This is what I love about this guy. And he kind of came on my radar last year because I had him on a college fantasy football team. I kind of picked him up 
toward the middle of the draft as a as a guy I, I took a flyer on. He had he's a good dual threat player. If you look at his numbers, he had 3,300 yards passing this year, 21 touchdowns, 10 picks, but he also added 359 yards rushing with six touchdowns, which the year prior he had almost 600 yards rushing. So the guy can move. The biggest concern about him is his accuracy. He tends to be a little bit of a gunslinger. And as mentioned, he's got 59% completion percentage his sophomore year, but it was an improvement over his freshman year. So I think as long as he continues to improve, as long as he continues to improve his accuracy, and I think the team will get better too. You guys got to remember, East Carolina hasn't really been the best team the last couple of years. They've been through some coaching changes. They, I think they won one game like two years ago. They won four last year. So they tend to be, the arrow tends to be pointing up. If he can get some reliable play around him, I think this guy can really take the next step. And I don't think he's a day one prospect by any means. And I don't even know if he's a guy who might be an upper tier prospect in the 2021 class. He'd probably have to take a big step to be that. But this is a guy I think around 2022, if he can continue to progress, can be a day two, a day three type of pick from a smaller school down there in East Carolina. Yeah, East Carolina is a, a tough one, but I would like to see some more players come out of these smaller schools that are NFL ready. And to your point, when we were talking, Kenny, the last quarterback to get drafted out of ECU is back in 2002 when your Jaguars selected mm-hmm. David Garrard. Yeah. So yep. they are well overdue for a quarterback to get drafted. Well, and, and what I like about Holton too is the guys always put up numbers. Like he's not, it's funny because he wasn't that big of a recruit coming out, but he broke the the North Carolina high school state record for, all, or, or, or sorry, he didn't break it. He was third all time in passing yards with 11,198 yards passing in his college career. And he's second all time in total offense. So this guy coming out of a such, North Carolina is a football-rich state. Like, there's been some stud guys who've come out of there, and this guy's one of the most accomplished high school players of all time in the state of North Carolina. So I'm really excited to see if he can take the next step this year. If we can see that his accuracy improve from, you know, that 59 to maybe like 64 65%, and match what he already has from a pure passing perspective standpoint, we could really see him shoot up the charts. Hey, he's got a good coach, Mike Houston, won a national championship with the JMU Dukes. That's your boy, Pastel. Charlotte is extremely excited that he passed on their offer and they got Will Healy. I'll just say that. That was a, I know we had a lot of discussions on that out of the two jobs. I'm not sure ECU would have been my selection. No. Uh, ECU, man, that's a tough place to win. You're kind of in the middle of nowhere. Not the greatest facilities, and you're in a, a Kenny, to your point, a football-rich state with a lot of other Power Five conference schools yep. as well. And at least at UNC Charlotte, you have new facilities, uh, a school that's up and coming, and one that's been successful at the Division One. Or I'm sorry, they weren't. No, I believe they started at Division One AA, but they were only in there for a year or two or a couple yep. of years before they they made the jump. And they've been competitive, and I believe they've made a couple bowl games here in the last two three years. Well, I'll tell you what, they have probably the most under-the-radar coach because uh, Will, Will Healy was a coach at Austin P, who he took to, like, unprecedented levels at Division one at, at the FCS level. And and I think he's going to be probably the next big coach. I, I Anybody who goes and checks this guy out, go look at his club, like what he does in the locker room after their wins, Gless. It's really cool. They turn on, like, these strobe lights, and they turn the locker room into a club after they win. It's insane. It's one of the coolest things I've ever seen. 
I will have to YouTube that. That's going to be on my to-do watch when I'm sitting around bored because that actually does sound like a lot of fun to watch, to be honest with you. It's pretty um, cool. I'll do that. So keep a, keep a lookout on UNC Charlotte. I, I think, to your point, Kenny, that is a program that's up and coming and certainly one of these coaches that are up and coming uh, that could easily get Power 5 jobs here, here in the next two or three years. Mm-hmm. Uh, simply, he's a young guy with a lot of energy, and as we've talked about, not only in this show, but even off the air, you know, getting, you know, recruiting and the demands of a Division One football coach, these coaches are only getting younger and younger and younger simply to deal with the demand of the job. So certainly, yep. a, certainly a, a coach to keep out for. So, well, we're going to go go ahead and, and, and close up shop here. But for all our listeners out there, you can always follow us and, and interact with the show on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. That's at Prospects101Pod. We're posting throughout the week different discussion uh, discussion comments, threads that we like throwing out. We love interacting with our fans, so make sure you follow us on, on all of our social media accounts. Again, that's at Prospects101Pod. Again, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also listen to us on your favorite podcast platform as well. Apple Pod, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, Pandora, whatever your flavor of podcast platform is, we are on there. That's what I can tell you. So make sure you subscribe, stay up to date with all of our episodes. We have a lot of great content coming out for all of our listeners. We've got a lot of great interviews up up and coming uh, that we've already booked. A lot of great guests, a lot of great content. Uh, As always, make sure, please give us a five-star review on any of the platforms that you're on. And we really appreciate you guys spreading the word about Prospects 101. As again, we've gotten a lot of great feedback from our fans as well as we've brought on new fans that are constantly interacting with us on on our social media platforms. So as far as Gless and for Kenny and for Pastel, we will talk to you guys next week. Hey, this is Megan Rapino, and I'm Sue Bird. We've decided to turn our crazy IG live show into a podcast for your listening pleasure. Enjoy the show. A Touch More. New episodes of A Touch More drop Tuesday only on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts.